These are conditions of which there is no cure. They only get worse, and they they necessitate lifelong medication. Well, I I cured at least three three major things, you know, reflux, major depression, and prediabetes. I reversed these conditions. Welcome to You Cured What? The podcast of reversing the irreversible. This is where you hear how real people are healing from conditions that most people think they're stuck with for life. I'm your host, Joe Kalb. If I had to give you some medical advice, I'd go to medical school and get a medical degree. Seriously, nothing in this podcast is medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute as such. Now, enjoy the You Cured What? conversation. I am thrilled about today's episode because today I've got a fascinating guest. David, you are a healthy, very intelligent guy, often making witty observations on Twitter. But I know that for decades, you dealt with a lot of both physical and mental health problems. Everything from vertigo to gastroesophageal reflux disease to major depression and even bipolar type 2 disorder. You don't struggle with any of these conditions anymore, from what I understand. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. David, can you give the listeners and me a little background on your health history? Well, thank you for having me, uh, Joe. I appreciate being on, and hopefully I'll be able to help some other people that listen to my story. Um, I am delighted to be here because I was in miserable shape for many years. I was wandering in the, the wasteland of confusion. Of uh, Basically, I became a, a carb addict and an exercise addict. After college, I didn't have um, these medical conditions before college or during college. I, I developed a, a liking for exercise. I bicycled to work. And I bicycled to school. I rode crew in college. Um, I kind of got the bug. But after college, I think various stresses led me to choose food as a sort of addictive, soothing, as a soothing substance, which just happened to be addictive. And um, then uh, that combined with sort of the exercise addiction, I was burning off the extra, extra calories. But I became severely addicted to uh, hyper palatable engineered foods, you know, carb heavy foods, and you know, would would justify it saying, "Well, I'm an I'm an athlete. I burned it off." You know, um, right? Kind of the, the calories and, in, uh, calories out type of type of idea. Yeah, I didn't really track calories in, calories out. I never was on a diet my whole yeah. life. I never was fat. I was I put on weight after college. I weighed 165 in college. And I only know that because I rode lightweight varsity crew, where you have to be 165 okay. or less. So I know I weighed 165, so I was pretty skinny. By 40 years after college, I had put on, just like the New York Times says, a pound a year. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I'm 205. Um, and so I stabilized there, and I would put on 10 or more pounds each holiday season. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, you know, Americans are very familiar with that. Yeah. And then I, that would come, come off, but I wouldn't, wouldn't try. Um, they would just come off. And then, but I 
stabilize that weight. And then one day I looked down at my belly and I was like, oh my God, I have a belly and love handles. <laughs> I never had that before. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting fat, you know? Um, and now my, my family has a tendency, my dad's side has a tendency to put on weight. So my dad and sister were overweight, but they were in athletics. So they put on weight. My mom had a more moderate appetite and did not put on weight. Um, but uh, the, the problem was that the balance of diet and exercise, even though exercise was modulating my mood, was that uh, I began to get metabolically deranged. I mean, I didn't know this, but things started, you know, breaking down. I was developing, you know, these physical symptoms like acne and vertigo, tinnitus, brain fog, uh, reflux disease. Um, and then I had had cyclical major depressions, uh, but I developed a hypomanic condition, which is sort of under mania. Bipolar 2 is characterized by hypomanic uh, uh, symptoms, uh, where you, uh, you're you not... The bipolar 1 manic episode is more like a, almost a psychotic episode. You are, you are, uh, often people are hospitalized, so I, I was never hospitalized. But uh, it was slightly enjoyable because you're kind of accelerated. You talk fast. You think fast. Come up with great ideas. You don't sleep as much. But it's not a – often creative people have this condition. Um, but it's not a great life strategy because it, it can lead to um, problems with spending money, career and job problems, relationship problems. Um, you know, you can develop unwise uh, – Sexual connections with random people, you know, that you shouldn't. Um, does and, it like, uh, is, so, is there an impulse control? Like, does it uh, inhibit your impulse control a little bit? Or, uh, dis disinhibit impulse control. Yeah, I guess, I guess it, you could say that you're, you're, you're both in speech and in action, there is an element of impulsivity. Uh, but it's all, but it's not just impulsivity like an ADHD person might have. There's also elements of uh, grandiosity and uh, um, features that are sort of less than salutary for your mental and physical health. Right. You know, um, you can say things to people that you shouldn't say. You know, kind of like your loose tongue okay. or something. And uh, it's it's. Uh, uh, you know, I, I could feel it. I could actually feel that hypomanic state, but I, I, there was nothing I could do about it. Now, I did go to, I'd been, been to psychiatrists about my depressions and then hypomania or this bipolar 2 condition, and I did take medication for this with limited success. Um, that, that was one of the problems. If it worked, maybe I never would have found out about this. Uh, and, and in fact, I, I didn't, the only reason I did the, changed my diet in the summer of 2015 was I was starting to get these blood sugar crashes at the end of the day where I would become very irritable and depressed apropos of nothing. In other words, no life events were making me depressed. It was purely food related or, or, or fasting related or blood sugar related. I knew there was something wrong with okay, blood sugar. So you can tell it was something so physiological going on. You can tell that? that there was something physical going on that was triggering um some of these depressive um... it, it was nothing psychological or related to life events okay. at all okay nothing 
it would just come out of the blue and it was related to not eating. Wow. Like I would forget to, I, I exercise fasted. I always exercise fasted and I eat after, but if I forgot to eat I, and I didn't eat in time, I would crash and then I would get depressed. Some people get angry or irritable um, and then I would eat. I feel better, but sometimes I would eat and I, I couldn't catch it and the brain change had occurred and I'd be depressed for usually a day, you know, the rest of the day and I'd kind of recover by the next morning. So that was interesting. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I don't like that. I want to do something about that. And, and by that time, I had heard about keto diet uh, and epilepsy. And uh, epileptics are given anticonvulsant drugs, uh, one of which, many of which are used for bipolar 1 and 2, uh, and other psychiatric conditions off-label. And one of those medications is lamotrigine or lamictal. And I had been taking that medicine with limited success and had been off it for a few years because it didn't really work. So I was just like dealing with depressions and hypomania yeah. and misery, uh, which come irregularly. You know, they would, if they were all the time, I probably would have gone back to a psychiatrist going, you have to fix me, but they didn't come that okay. often. And I said, oh, lamotrigine is given for epileptics. Keto cures epilepsy. Maybe keto will cure my condition, which because I take lamotrigine is similar, yeah. you know, or has similar effects on the brain. And so I just did, I didn't count any macros. I just did a basic, I don't know, I started eating lower carbs, slowly, you know, taking stuff away. Um, I was a severe carb addict. I never thought I could break my carb addiction. Uh, so um, and uh, I, started, I started feeling better, you know, like a lot better. Um, of course, when you have cyclical depressions that come irregularly, you don't know if you're better. Right. Right. You know? uh, but after four and a half years, I'm wow. better. And, you know, I, I actually went to a, a local physician here, family practice guy, for my routine physical. And, and the first time in my life, they have a, like a Beck depression inventory on it. And I scored a zero on it. I'm like, wow, never done that wow. before. Is that like a, a questionnaire um, so or I, something? Like, um, can you say? Beck? Yeah, so uh, there, there, are, there are standardized depression inventory questions. And one of the most widely used one is called the Beck, B-E-C-K, depression inventory. It's a screening tool for uh, depression, which is very common. And if you don't treat depression, then, you know, other diseases kind of, you're not going to successfully may not be able to successfully treat other diseases. Oh, I'm curious. Um, and so I was like, wow. I'm, I'm curious um, about the, the time frame for all of this, because you said, um, you know, summer of 2015, so approximately four and a half years ago, um, that's when you you started to learn about the ketogenic diet and you started going down that route. And it sounds like you haven't had any depressive episodes since then um no that's uh, that's an amazing thing and i've had life events that could have easily triggered depressive episodes i mean my father died um, we had some family drama with some money being stolen by step oh, family wow. i was like and, and then like giant irs tax bill extremely stressful wow. stuff yet um i just like I'm like, whatever, you know, I'm fine. We'll deal with it. You know, whereas in, in past years, it'd be like, you know, that could that could set me off. You know, wow. easily. So what is the time frame um, from which, you know, you mentioned it was uh, 
you know, you mentioned being a rower in college and some of, some of the issues that, uh, the health issues you've had have, um, come in your post college years. Um, what's the timeline like? And like, how often would you have depressive episodes and over what, like, how many, how many years have you dealt with? question because i'm i'm 62 now i graduated college in um 1979 so talking quite a few years right right? it's almost that's that's 40 years um and then i would after you know i was uh became vegetarian almost a vegan you know in my years after college as i sort of wandered through the world in my, uh, you know, stupor, carbohydrate and depressive stupor. <laughs> I wasn't depressed all the time. Uh, that is not true. I would, uh, but I would have cyclical depressions at least every, I don't know, six months to a wow. year. Um, sometimes more. Uh, and, and they would last, you know, they could last a week or a month or two months, you know, if they lasted longer, I'd, I'd drag myself to a doctor and go, oh, man, I feel terrible. you got to do something. Unfortunately, I found out recently, I took a 23andMe genetic test. Um, I have a genetic variant that makes it difficult for SSRIs to cross the blood-brain barrier. So when I took Prozac, it didn't work, <laughs> which is really annoying <laughs> because, like, I was getting the side effects, but none of the positive mm. effects. You know, like all my friends are Prozac. go, hey, this is great. I'm like, oh my god, it's terrible. Doesn't wow. work, and Prozac doesn't work right away. Um, so I was on Prozac, Paxil. Um, I I took tra- Trazodone. Actually worked. It's used as a sleep aid. It kind of has an antidepressant effect, and um, uh, that did help a little bit. I would take it at night. Often I found that when I worked in a summer camp for many years outside in fresh air and sunlight, and I would feel great all summer and into the fall. And then I'd get like a little down in the in the winter as the days shortened. But literally, I began to dread oh. winter, uh, short days. And um, But again, I, I, even though I was feeling better in the summer, I think I did have some, uh, still had a little hypomania and... And still, you know, was was pretty addicted to exercise, um, and 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 carbs if I could get them. You know, in in the summer I was so busy I I didn't have access to them. I was out of the out of the city, but but when I lived during the year, I would like worry about renting a house too close to a twenty four hour convenience <laughs> store where I could walk and get Ben and Jerry's ice cream in the middle of the night. You know. Because I knew that uh, I was severe carb addict, so actually I I wouldn't keep any sweets in my house, so no cookies, cake, candy, ice cream wow. in the house. But because I was a carb addict, I was eating rice, pasta, bread, and bowls of cereal every night. So if somebody would have told you a decade ago that you would go on a low carbohydrate ketogenic diet, uh, you probably would have considered yourself one of the worst candidates for that type of diet oh no way I, I i never thought i could stop eating you know all these carbs and sweet foods and carbohydrate type rich foods no no way like meat fat eggs and 
vegetables? Like, what? <laughs> no way. I'm like, where's the pleasure in life? Which is one of the reasons why a lot of people, you know, don't, they don't have a great difficulty with even the thought of the diet. I mean, Dr. Unwin says, and many doctors will say, they'll tell people they got to stop eating bread because their HbO1c is so high. They literally start crying in their office, sobbing, because they're so addicted to bread. And uh, I went to a reflux class at the hospital, and I got rid of reflux. I wanted to find a little more about it. So I went to this reflux class. And the, oddly enough, no word on what causes it, just what not to do, like eat chocolate, peppermint, coffee, mm-hmm. you know. So the guy goes, you got to stop eating chocolate. And this woman behind me goes, my life is oh, over. No. <laughs> <laughs> and the class cracked up. They all felt their lives were over. <laughs> and I'm like, lady, eat a few egg yolks. You know? <laughs> um. But what's funny is that I mentioned my egg yolk addiction to uh, Joan Uffland, who is a premier uh, food addiction yes. expert. Uh, she was at Boca. And I said, I, I said, Joan, I'm eating like 10 egg yolks a day, like at a meal. You know, I have one meal a day. And I, I cook them really lightly. And as the, as the yolk, the, the barely cooked yolk, warm yolk runs down my throat, I had this unbelievable feeling of bliss wow like what is going on she goes the fats are likely stimulating your endocannabinoid receptors <laughs> <laughs> so like you're literally getting high on egg yolks i'm like what <laughs> i thought it was hilarious and i, I continue to eat them if i can't get fatty enough meat which is very common in the states the meat is very lean here and ribeye which is fatty is very right. ricey and it has to be cooked just yeah. right. Well, I don't. So anyway, I don't think I've ever even heard uh, getting high on egg yolks used as slang before. So that's a new one to me. I like it. What? What? what used uh, as you what? know, getting high off of uh, egg yolks. I've never heard that as slang before. No, so. I think I'm first person to do that. <laughs> uh, but if you find out more, because there's a lot of people eating. Uh, egg yolks and, and some of the people are eating raw, completely raw egg yolks, you know, not eating yeah. the whites. Yeah. So, and I literally need like six egg yolks is not wow. enough. I, I need at least nine or 10 egg yolks. I don't eat all the whites because then I don't have any room for you know, <laughs> food, but I want to eat some meat. Uh, and I'm a big meat eater. I know I was a vegetarian, a partial vegan years ago. I mean, I was a mess. I had like my basal body temperature was like 95. It's freezing all the time. I was skinny. I probably had a peripheral neuropathy developing from B12 deficiency, a tingling in my fingers. I mean, I was, I was a mess and, and very depressed. A lot of uh, tremendous high-carb diet of eating like, you know, six times a day. So I'm getting bathing my teeth in all these carbs, and then the acids are developing from the bacteria. So I'm getting a lot of tooth decay. And that's another thing that's disappeared is tooth decay, pain, and sensitivity has has completely evaporated on this wow. diet. That's like, fascinating. I'm like, I, I didn't realize this because you don't, I didn't think about that. I was focused on depression and my reflux that hurt my throat, you know, after dinner. And uh, I don't know, my brain fog or something. Well, you know? And then all these other things. Like, I didn't even notice that my tinnitus and vertigo went away and my brain fog went away. Um, that's amazing. It, I'd read about these things. 
it's amazing. Like, and then I, I read about like skin tags, like my dad and I were prone to skin tags. We're getting these skin tags all over, you know, and then all of a sudden they just completely stopped forming. Like, wow. Gone. And, and then I read that skin tag formation is related to hyperinsulinemia, which as you know, is connected to a number of horrible undesirable thing yeah and and for the listeners who aren't uh familiar with this uh hyperinsulinemia is um i guess one way to look at it is kind of chronically elevated levels of the hormone insulin um and you know i think i'd like to dive in a little bit more to uh the specifics of your diet david um but i guess as uh just a little overview, one of the proposed mechanisms by which low-carbohydrate diets are effective and um, that they can be beneficial for a number of health conditions is by the fact that um, the hormone insulin is uh, triggered out of all the macronutrients, you know, fat, carbohydrate, protein, the primary stimulant of insulin is carbohydrate. And when you went on the low-carbohydrate ketogenic diet, you were removing um, a primary uh, spiker of insulin, and so that keeps your, your insulin levels lower. And as you mentioned, that um, you know high levels of insulin in the body at all times, that, that is tied to a lot of, it's associated with a lot of um, negative health consequences. Um, that that's true. Yes, hyperinsulinemia, and I have become aware of that because I I hooked up with Doctor Tro, and he ordered some lab tests, and I was able to they were able to determine my insulin level, which went down from four, which isn't bad, to two on this diet. And um, um, I did not have a continuous glucose monitor years ago, but I, I, I use one now uh, for a couple of months to get an idea of what foods are doing to my blood sugar, because the blood sugar will affect insulin levels, of course, and also mood. And, and, and of course, high blood sugar, persistent high blood sugar has other deleterious health consequences. But what I did notice is that... Um, I don't get the reactive hypoglycemia that I used to. In other words, I eat carbs, high blood sugar, insulin comes out, drops blood sugar, and then it drops too low. And then you get hungry, irritable, angry, depressed um, uh, from low blood sugar, and you have to eat again, which is why Americans on the sort of standard diet you may eat uh, six times a day you know, to maintain their blood sugar by whipsawing it back and forth, but always keeping it above the not good level. But that whipsawing of the blood sugar is, is a bad long-term strategy uh, for me and certainly for most people, I think. Although there are individual variations in carbohydrate right. tolerance, as my proves, who is not a carb addict and can eat things. She also wore the, wore the blood sugar monitor, and she didn't get the spikes that, that I got. You know, so we, we definitely have a different uh, response to a challenge of carbohydrates and i can see this even just from an apple uh, without you know an apple uh, uh, without any food on either side of it like not an apple after dinner but an apple alone will send my blood sugar pretty high 
only superseded by the hype reached by <laughs> corn chips, which sent my blood sugar skyrocketing from like 85 Whoa. to 185 wow. within 20 minutes. Um, uh, and I did play around with this. I, I mean, I don't eat corn chips anymore, but I was challenging myself. Um, if you dip the corn chips in sour cream or you dip them in a fish salad or something, you get a completely different uh, blood sugar profile. That's something that people should know if you combine foods or uh, some people suggest if you're going to eat carbs, eat them toward the end of the meal, um, uh, which is a good place for a dessert, the end of the meal. And if you're going to have no carbs during the meal and adequate fat to slow the absorption of carbs down. Um, But, you know, it's a it's an interesting thing to I call it making the right. invisible visible. Uh, and I occasionally post stuff on Twitter where I have a call CGM follies, you know, I suffer, <laughs> don't have to. And then I'll post my charts to general amusement and edification yes. of the public, you know. Um, you know, it's so funny because I, my, a friend of mine is a gourmet and he took me out to dinner with his wife and he's like, oh yeah, I know you're eating a lot of meat. I'm ordering a pork shoulder two days in advance. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. So you go to this German restaurant. Of course, it's, the pork shoulder doesn't come out right away. What comes out, the apps are going to be <laughs> potato pancakes and asparagus soup and white bread. So I'm like, oh, boy, here goes a diet. And then sure enough, my blood sugar goes up. I have the meat and everything's fine. You know, we have a nice dinner. I go home and my wife had left like a half a yeah. loaf of whole wheat bread. And all of a sudden. I'm eating a half. I ate the entire half a loaf Whoa. of bread and a stick of butter because whipsaw of the of the carb craving that the other carbs created. It was amazing. I'm like, I haven't eaten bread in like months. Uh, I mean, we we basically cleaned our house out. We have crackers, but I don't really. I mean, I used to bake my own bread and eat toasted jalapeno, whole wheat toasted jalapeno bread yeah. with melted butter on it. It was. Un- delicious but i became aware of the addictive potential of both uh bread and even dairy and uh, so i don't and i actually don't eat very much of those or i don't eat pretty yeah. much any bread it's like the waste and, and well just, i'm i'm curious um you know you've had so many health problems and they you know over decades and in the last four and a half years you know you've gotten rid of them and you've talked about some of the things that you eat, but I'm I'm curious, um, you know, to to go about that kind of healing process. Uh, what was your diet like? What were the changes mm-hmm. um, in your diet like that um, led to the improvement to now to where you're now standing four and a half years later, without any depressive episodes, without tinnitus, without vertigo. Um, without gastroesophageal ref- reflux disease, um, you know what? Yeah, um, that's a very good question. I mean, I ate a standard American diet. I had some health consciousness. I knew some things. Brown rice was better than white rice, supposedly. So I'd have a plate of pasta. I'd have a plate of rice, a little meat, little vegetables, and then I'd have a dessert. Um, that was my sort of my standard diet. When I changed, I as I slowly you know withdrew the carbs from the diet i had to replace them with something so i slowly increased the fat level you know i did what's called lazy keto or dirty keto i didn't really count my macros 
Um, but now, basically, it, like in my refrigerator, I have uh, I have uh, a raw chopped meat. You know, ten pounds of raw chopped meat. I have um, a chuck, an eye roast. I think I have ten pounds of that that I'm going to cook okay. in a sous vide cooker, um, which is a delicious way to cook things. Um, I have some ribeyes I had cooked sous vide. I brought up from Florida that are still great, and I brown them and, and eat those. I have, uh, I think I have six dozen wow. eggs in my refrigerator. Just bought. Um, I never want to be out of eggs. E- eggs are like the go-to thing. Once I have my eggs, I can eat a little meat and then eat whatever, and I, I don't have to worry about uh, you know, gorging on any other foods if I'm in a like a restaurant or a family gathering that has, you know, tempting foods. Um, so I eat like I'm cooking salmon tonight. Uh, and I have my wife had cooked a uh, chicken masala and uh, she has meatloaf in the refrigerator. She cooked and I bought some sushi, although I don't I don't really eat the rice. I just eat the raw fish. And, um, uh, we eat olives. Uh, we don't have, she's not really a dessert person. She likes savory after, you know, more like a salty kind of chip, chip thing. Although trying to get her, I pretty much got her off the corn chip thing because of the, uh, Mm. with the seed oils. That's a real, uh, thing you want to avoid. So, um, uh, yeah, that's really, really bad. People have really no idea how bad industrial seed oils are for you. Um, and I have to encourage people to get off them if they yeah, can. That's, They're um, everywhere. That's something I look at a lot too. Um, and so for, for listeners who may not be familiar, you might see it referred to as vegetable oil or, or soybean oil, uh, canola oil. Um, there are lots of, um, lots of different oils that are very industrial, industrially made. And there's a lot of research implicating them in uh, some of the the primary health problems that people face in today's society. And unfortunately, these seed oils are um, throughout the food supply, throughout the you know any kind of packaged food. Many of them, most of them, are held together with these very seed oils. That's true. All all fried foods, deep fried foods, uh, French fries, most popular food in America, um, all the baked goods and yes. all the salad dressings. Very, very hard to avoid. I mean, once you know, um, and if you look at the work of Tucker Goodrich and his experience with seed oils, he had this miraculous healing of uh, he had uh, severe uh, bowel disturbances. Uh, I think he had part of his bowel removed. He had his IBS or Crohn's. And he completely yeah. went away when he stopped seed oils. And then people have reported, including myself, uh, off seed oils, um, uh, lack of sensitivity to sunburn. Um, I used to be quite sensitive to sunburn. Uh, I wouldn't say exquisitely sensitive, but sensitive enough. And now I do not get sunburn anymore. I don't, I don't need to use sunblock. I don't get red. I don't burn. It's amazing. Yeah. I was like, what? And it's something to do with the seed oils incorporating themselves into your membranes, which are in every cell of your body, and uh, they're a suboptimal uh, fat, you know, 
Uh, in fact, they may contain some trans fats, but uh, especially heated, re- heated and reheated and reused seed oils that are in the right. deep violators all over the country. Yes, I, I can't that. recommend uh, the work of Tucker Goodrich enough. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on the same page as you, David. And uh, so for anyone following along, if you go to uh, twitter.com slash Tucker, Tucker Goodrich, he posts all, all sorts of research about um, about seed oil. So if you're looking to learn more, that's an excellent place to start. He's also yes. been on a number of podcasts, uh, quite a few, a human performance outliers, a low carb MD, diet doctor, and uh, told his uh, tale of woe that yeah. became a tale of triumph, really. I mean, he literally, yeah, saved his own life. I, I say I saved my own life. I, I literally saved my life. But he he really saved his life. He was dying of this condition. I was miserable and would have been miserable for many more years if I hadn't fixed this. Um but uh you know he really did an amazing thing and there is this is not a rare condition. You know, ir- irritable bowel syndrome and Crohn's Crohn's Millions of people have this condition, and it's still really a mystery. What is the root cause? I mean, the only treatment they they give now is suppressive uh, drugs to, like prednisone type drugs, um, to suppress the immune system, which is uh, you know not addressing the root cause, which you know they don't know. And and just like in mental illness, depression and bipolar, the the root cause of these diseases is not completely understood i mean they used to say it was a you know serotonin deficiency but it's it's really not because it doesn't track with serotonin and um if you don't address root causes you are asking for trouble that's my 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 feeling um and and most of modern medicine or sick care is really Suppressing symptoms, not addressing root root yeah, causes. Yeah, it, it's interesting that um, some of the people who do have that like kind of outlier success uh, with you know overcoming these types of conditions. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of people have IBS and Crohn's. Um, I just spoke to someone named Josh Gaines recently, who um, eating a diet, David, very similar to yours. Um, he went from decades worth of Crohn's disease to now his large intestine is completely clear of Crohn's activity. And I mean, he feels on top of the world. He's felt, felt great for a couple of years now. 14 months out of that, he went on a strict, um, strict diet of, um, of meat, eggs and fish, six eggs a day. So similar to you. And, um, you know, he had success. He mentioned Tucker Goodrich cutting out seed oils. Um, it just goes to show that, uh, there's something to the dietary aspect that makes a, it can make a really, really huge difference. Well, I think what people need to realize is that the conditions that we're talking about, a certain sort of example, Crohn's or IBS, major depression, bipolar two, gastroesophageal reflux um, these these conditions uh, uh, wow. pre-diabetes which I had too uh, I had an H 
so you have at least six, and now down to 5.3. These conditions do not spontaneously revert. These are conditions of which there is no cure, they only get worse, and they they necessitate lifelong right. medication. Well, I call I I cured at least three three major things, you know, reflux, major depression, and prediabetes. Wow! I reversed these conditions. <laughs> I mean, that's huge. I mean, talk about for me quality of life. But I mean, I I'm not alone now. The data is starting to come in. You know, with the Verda Health studies in uh, in diabetes, especially type two diabetes, um, they they're starting to collect massive amounts of data on people reversing these formally. Look, the spontaneous reversal with with medication of of type two diabetes is like point five percent. You know, it just doesn't happen, right? And and same thing. Oddly enough, with weight loss. I mean, I didn't need to lose a lot of weight. I did lose some weight, and I lost body fat, put on muscle. But same thing with with weight loss. It's like 98.5% failure rate for calories in, calories out model. Jenny Craig, the Weight Watchers, it's all all a giant mistake. It's like the giant mistake of the the change in diet, the American diet, which was meat and lard and fat and bacon and eggs. To, to high carb, low fat, starting in the government report in the end of the 70s, it's been a giant experiment and a giant failure responsible for the largest increase in diabetes and obesity the world has ever seen. And uh, I'm hoping there are truth and reconciliation committees and the doctors admit their massive mistake and they apologize. Yeah, it's, um, there's so much so much information out there about this and that a, a good book about, you know, what you were talking about there, the McGovern report uh, is, and just kind of the, the way, um, the way the dietary guidelines have come out over the last um, 50 or, or 60 years. Um, the book, the big fat surprise details that very well. Um, the author is Nina Teichel. She works very hard to, um, to try to improve the dietary guidelines as much as possible. Um, I'm, I am curious kind of along those lines that there are a lot of books and there are so many, there's so much information out there. You mentioned why you, um, considered the ketogenic diet a few years ago. I'm curious how, how did you even come across the information? You mentioned that you had heard uh, that the ketogenic diet was effective for epilepsy, which was similar to um, a drug that you were taking, um, a, you know, a medicine that you were taking. Um, so how how did you even hear about the ketogenic diet being um, effective for epilepsy? And then um, what what resources along the way have helped you um, to continue to learn? Um, how to regain your health? Well, good question. You know, I, I, a very curious person. I read widely. I'm on the internet a lot. When before the internet, I used to go to the library, take out twenty, thirty books at a time. You know, I was living in this small town once, and the librarian said, "You're single-handedly raising my allotment of federal funds by the <laughs> amount of books you're taking out." 
taking out one book a month. I was taking out 30 books every two weeks, you know. Uh, this is pre-internet. Now I, I get a lot of information on the internet. So I, I always was interested in kind of politics and nutrition. Those are my two things. And, uh, I don't remember where I heard about this. I just, it was like in the air and I read about it, but you know, it's curious. I don't have epilepsy. So like, what does it have to do with me? But then I said, Hey, wait a minute. You know, this is a similar medication. Um, uh, there are some people that think I, and I, I read the work of this, uh, Chris, Christopher Palmer in Boston, the psychiatrist who's been using the keto diet for, for 20 years. And, um, he, he and others think that, uh, there's a constellation of mental disorders that are that may be connected and may have a common uh, root, and they include migraines, epilepsy, bipolar one and two, schizophrenia, unipolar depression, and um, they they all seem to be helped in, in some cases reversed by a ketogenic, and in some cases a strict ketogenic, like a medical ketogenic diet. So I met a kid at Low Carb Boca who was on a medical ketogenic and had cured himself uh, of his wow. bipolar condition. Um, Chris Palmer spoke at Low Carb Boca, and he said, I talk to my patients, and this works. He goes, but I warned them. I said, you can't just go on this diet, get better, and then stop the diet. He's had patients end up in, uh, in full psychosis, re-hospitalized, going off the diet it's like wow. it's like a it's like a medication so better you you either have to taper yourself and go back on the meds or do something but you cannot stop the diet cold turkey and i do notice if i eat uh, you know wrong types of food i may feel a slight ir irritability or i i could feel i feel different you know i can i can i can bring my reflux back two days of, of regular high carb meals you know it can come back I don't want it to come back, but I can make it come back. I always thought reflux was due to overeating and your stomach was too full and you, you know, you, you just had too much volume, but it turns out it's not volume because I have eaten massive, you know, uh, keto, keto type meals with meat and fat and eggs, and whatever, nothing. It's the carbs, it, even, the, even a small amount, smaller amount. It's not the volume. It's something to do with carbs. And uh, oddly enough, it's not spoken about. I mean, the regular treatment for reflux is uh, proton pump inhibitors, which cut your acid down. But that is, again, a suboptimal strategy because re reducing your stomach acid while a good emergency treatment, you know, may be appropriate for a short term. A long term strategy is not good because you need your stomach acid. It's important. Sounds more like symptom management than something that's even looking at root cause. Right. I, I think, I mean, that's critical in medicine. Look, look, I think that's why my surgeon finds his jobs, the surgeon that took out my appendix, finds his job so, so satisfying. He addressed the root cause of the condition. I had a bad yeah. appendix. He took it out, you know, uh, very satisfying. In fact, I asked him about stomach surgery and he is very, you know, because he's in there laparoscopically. He can do it. He won't do it. He doesn't think it works. He, people eat around it. They get worse, you know, and, uh, he won't do it, but he loves doing surgeries that they have a problem. The gallbladder take, takes it out. Appendix takes it out. I said, well, you know, it'd be nice to know why you had appendicitis in the first place. 
or why you had a gallbladder, which I think gallbladder is very much related to diet. Appendix less so. It's less less sure about uh, whether that's related to diet. Um, but uh, symptomatic treatment. The, one of the books I you know read was uh, Ivor Cummins' book. Oh, who, uh, Eat Rich, uh, Live the, Long. The title escapes me, but um, Rich Live Long. I read The Carnivore Diet by Sean Baker. And, uh, of course, I read Nina Teichold's book, um, Big Fat Lie, uh, a, a work of Gary Taubes I've been reading. Um, you know, it's all part of this. You know, Gary Taubes says, you know, once you right. see it, you can't unsee it, right? Well, once you experience it yourself, it's even more burned into you. You just cannot yeah. unsee it. It's like, I mean, do you think I'll... I'll ever go back to eating my old way because, like, why would I do that? It, like, I don't have any more cheat days anymore. Like, in the beginning, it was like, oh, yeah, I'll have a cheat day on a weekend. Now it's like, <laughs> why would I want to do that? Like, wow. I'll just suffer. You know, so now I've actually retrained my brain. That's why the cookies can sit on the shelf now. You see, for the last four and a quarter years, my wife could not keep cookies in the house. I would eat them. Now, because of the satiety increase, my diet change, and then the egg yolks help too, I don't crave the cookies. I don't even want them. She can eat them in front of me. She can eat like one cookie a week. I mean, she has that type of brain, you know, she can do that. I mean, she used to, she used to ask me, where are the cookies? I'm like, what cookies? She goes, the cookies I bought. I go, when did you buy them? She goes, six weeks ago. I go, you mean the cookies I ate five <laughs> weeks and six days ago? That giant, and she'd be like, "I want a cookie." I go, "You can't. I'm gonna have to buy you a safe, and I'm gonna give you the combination. I'm gonna lock the cookies in the safe. Then only you can get the cookies." But I found a better solution, which was to tame my cravings for cookies and my cravings for what I call hyperpalatable engineered food designed by these food chemists that are to hit your bliss point. To make sure you eat right, more and right. super delicious. And so yeah, that that is fascinating. I'm sure uh, many of us can identify with uh, what you're talking about. That you know everyone's different, but a lot of us, if um, you know, if we one cookie, we're gonna eat the whole sleeve of cookies. You know, and I think a lot of people, if if someone brings in uh, brings in donuts to the office or um, so wherever, when you walk by, like, it's really, really hard to pass up on, on that donut. But it's interesting that, um, it sounds like you have kind of gotten past that, uh, that craving. Is that, am I hearing that right? Oh, oh God, it's like night and day. So I have no almost no desire to eat the entire day. I don't have breakfast. I don't have lunch. I'm not even hungry for dinner. But I eat dinner because social, my wife come home, comes home from work. and But I don't need to eat. I don't get hungry. Now, when I eat, I do develop an, a slight appetite, but not like the craving, demented appetite I had before. Um, those, those cravings and those, those, that hunger... I mean, I basically am intermittent. I mean, I have effortless intermittent fasting. I'm literally not hungry the whole day. But the difference is I'm not crashing. 
I have good mood, focus, energy, endurance. In fact, I, I report, and many people report, enhanced focus, energy, and endurance mood on uh, nothing but salt water. So I'll drink salted water during okay. the day, a little sea salt and water. Uh, not because I'm because I'm I'm thirsty and it provides a little electrolytes for me, you know, that I enjoy. So you, you, um, yeah. but the different day. So I walk by a donut and get to the work, and it means nothing to me. Yeah, it's just like a picture of food. In fact, that doesn't register as food. It's so shiny and colorful; it, it registers like a child's toy. Yeah. Like it's meaningless to me. Uh, I can walk past dessert, you know, smorgasbord buffet type stuff, and I'm like, eh, I don't need it. I'd rather have the uh, lobster. And can you, can you have salad. imagined that just uh, six years ago, that you would be able to, you know, pass up? Never. 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 I mean, I didn't think I could pass it up or stop eating it. I knew I could stop buying it, bringing it home, but I it was always like, it was always there, like in my mind. I was thinking about it, and if I had an occasion to buy stuff, you know, like if it was a party, I'd buy instead of like a couple of pints of Ben and Jerry's, I'd buy like ten pints of Ben and Jerry's. So there'd be some for the party and and five or six pints for me, you know. I mean, look for for two years I had this stressful job. I would eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's every single wow. day when I came home from work. Like, and I would sit there in a stupor as I was trying to chill out from the day. And if you if you listen to Rob Siwis, who has a terrific YouTube channel and some great lectures and great interviews on podcasts, he talks about an emotion management toolkit you need. He, he thinks that's the, and I, I agree with him, that's the underlying cause of people are eating to manage their emotions. They're snacking to manage their mood. They're not snacking because they're hungry. The blood sugar is going up and down, yes, he says. But if the root cause is you, if you don't have a, a way to manage your emotions and take breaks during the day and relieve some of the stresses of the day through exercise, through black coffee, through talking to friends, people use food to have that break, to have that mental break. And he did it. He was up to 300 pounds. He used Coke and M&M's. And I used, you know, snacking the same way. And um, I was able to, I never thought I'd be able to break it. I have to say, I did have an assist from an unusual technique that I pioneered called hyperthermic okay, stress what's, uh, exercise. What's the deal with hyperthermic and stress exercise? So basically, I became interested in the work of Rhonda uh -huh. Patrick and saunas. Uh, saunas have a lot of health. And I began reading up on them. We began to take his saunas longer and longer. In fact, they were becoming so long that I became slightly alarmed that I was going to be dehydrated. So I was weighing myself before and after the sauna. And I found that I was I could lose about six pounds an hour in the sauna. That's three liters of, of water. And you, you, it's, you just drink it back, but you need right. to have electrolytes and water. So I thought it was very interesting, and it felt pretty good. But I still was, uh, you know, eating my uh, my my diet, my poor diet, you know. But feeling, you know, again, it helped my mood, but it wasn't, uh, you know, cure. Um, 
a few years ago, in fact, when I started this diet, the, the low-carb keto diet, I said to myself, you know, I have to walk my dog, and I have to sit in the sauna, and I have to exercise. But what if I could do all three of those at the same time? So I began to overdress. I figured I'd overdress and sweat, you know, while I run around in heavy clothes. And I did it the first time. It didn't work. It was like, eh, I didn't sweat enough. And I weighed myself. I didn't lose anything. So then I put on a whole bunch of clothing, raincoats and hats and four sweatpants and nine layers on my chest and gloves. And I went running up and down the hills with my dog with ski poles. And I weighed myself before and after. And I had lost 12 pounds in two hours. And I came back. And this is the very first time I did this. I had a complete cessation of craving to eat any carbs at all. It was like gone, like someone had flicked wow. a switch in my brain. And now there's data on why this is working, because it has to, something to do with the hedonic signaling system involving endorphins and mu and kappa opioid receptors and this complex interplay of the satiety system, which involves the uh, endorphins, which are endomorphins, you know, your pleasure chemicals in your body. And I used this technique for years to help me bridge over the addictive gap, to break my addiction. In fact, it was kind of like a, a methadone treatment, you know. I was doing this like four times a week. My laundry bill was, you know, crazy. Um, but I did this almost every other day. And every time I came back, I felt the endorphin high was so powerful. It was amazing. It was wow. like I was literally high. Like I've never taken opiates, but I would sit there going, wow, this is the strongest endorphin high I have ever had. And that was the first time I did it. And the cessation of carbs happened at the and exact same time. And from exercising um, Interestingly, just with, with uh, a large amount of clothes on and just trying to get your body temperature highly increased. Is that... I, I measure my body temperature, but it's a little tricky to measure. And so it's it went up a okay. little bit, but the sweat losses would always be six pounds an hour. And let me tell you, and you have to drink a lot of water, but it's very it's actually quite dangerous. Anyone thinking of doing this should be very careful. Uh, you must take a certain amount right. of electrolytes in each liter of water. And I found that amount to be about three grams of sea salt per liter um, or you can take a, sea, a salt tablet with, with other electrolytes in it but I found I could get away with just sea salt but a minimum wow. of three grams a liter so I mean I, I came back one day I had drunk six liters six liters yeah. of water okay that's 12 pounds of water right earlier in the day and that's 18 wow. grams of salt and I, I later in the afternoon in a store and I measured my blood pressure and it was like 107 huh. over 65. Okay. That's after eight grams of salt. Any less than three grams per liter, then I would develop um, either cramps okay. on the trail or cramps later. Uh, like in the evening, the cramp. Actually, my wife and I both have completely eliminated. We used to get orthostatic hypotension, which is sort of dizziness yeah. from, from low yeah. blood pressure from standing up. And it was likely we did not have adequate salt intake. We increased our salt intake slightly. Yeah. This is independent of my sweat exercise. 
And uh, both orthostatic hypotension went away, wow. including our nocturnal leg cramps, which are a real problem. I didn't realize millions of people have this problem, and it, it's, it's related to electrolytes, and it's also related to other That's stuff too, but we got very, rid of it. Uh, very interesting, and yeah, it kind of runs counter to uh, a lot of uh, what can what uh, the mainstream thinks as far as uh, whether salt is good to have, you know, should you limit it, should you increase it. But I want to step back to something you mentioned earlier. Um, this is a, a common theme amongst people who have reverse conditions like you have. Um, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's a very common thought. Now, I know, you know, you can't unsee it, but I'm curious how those around you um, responded and reacted to uh, to your health transformation, um, you know, doctors, friends, family, um, how did they react as you adopted this uh, low carbohydrate ketogenic diet, and then as you uh, really improved your health? Well, it's an that's an interesting question. I never thought about that, but you know, mainstream people like my family practice doctor, my sister friends uh i tell them the story and it's like they don't have the the mental capacity or the ability to process like they're like it's like a story like what what are you talking about reversing irreversible conditions that have plagued you for decades you know, they just they don't have the language um and some people are open to it some people are not have I have I changed anybody's diet who I've mentioned this to? I don't think so. They listen to it. They take it in. They think about it. They may do their own research. I happen to have a keto-friendly doctor who's like cheering oh, yeah. me on, Doctor Tro, and uh, you know he's great. But you know I I tell my family practice guy I, I cured you know thirty five years of bipolar two disorder. Like right. what is he supposed That's to do with that? You know. I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, that's very interesting. <laughs> and if it was me, I'd say, <laughs> if it was me, I'd say, oh, I'll start a podcast about that. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just like, it's my, my wife wasn't a food addict. She, she eats the way we eat. She enjoys it. Um, she also now can fast the entire day. She didn't even, you know, try to do this. She basically has a, kind of a protein smoothie in the morning at seven and then she eats dinner at seven and she has good mood focus energy the whole day. Um, so she's kind of doing this intermittent fasting thing too. It's in a way it's like a, it's, I call it like a superpower because I literally do not need to eat. So when I travel, like if I go to a conference or traveling by airplane or by car, I don't need to eat. It's like, why should I eat crappy food? I don't need to eat. I've, I'm better. So whenever I travel to a conference, I always bring my salt, my sea salt and my water and I'll eat whenever I find adequate food. You know, Um, I just have to mention one one thing about brain chemistry in 2002. I mentioned this on Twitter. I was given a a dose of Wellbutrin as as a starter dose to start a course of Wellbutrin by a psychiatrist for ADHD and uh, depression. Well, butrin is a, is a norepinephrine axis type medication. 
I took the one starter dose. Well, I don't know. I can't remember the number, 50 milligrams or something. And the next day, I lost, completely lost all desire to eat and to exercise. Now, I'm a 25-year exercise and eating addict. That that caught my attention. I'm like sitting down on the couch going, exercise? Why? <laughs> it's stupid. <laughs> you know, I'm like running mountains and biking and running stairs and sweating and running with weights. And I'm like, one dose. I'm like, exercise? Eh. And, I'm, and, and it was like, eat? Eh. Who cares? Wow. Eat, not eat. Doesn't make any difference. I mean, I would eat, uh, but I was like, hmm. that's not really enjoyable, you know? And so I mentioned this to a psychiatrist who, who lives next to me, and he's like, oh, yeah, Wellbutrin. We call that well-butt trim because we give it to patients that they just start losing weight like crazy. I mean, it's it's not an effective weight loss drug. Otherwise, everyone would be using it, right? Um, but again, symptomatic treatment. But it points out that there's a brain chemistry thing to addictions. And I was addicted to the carbs and i was addicted to exercise now i'm no longer addicted to carbs and exercise i do not need to do them anymore i mean i used to if i didn't exercise for two or three days i'd get like antsy irritable like yeah. i need to exercise or i'm going to kill somebody it's amazing so i lost i lost that and then the third addiction of course is sex addiction which you can have either with a partner or with porn and and I noticed years ago that the only time I wouldn't overeat my three gigantic bowls of cereals at night was when I was planning to have sex hmm. with my girlfriend. Not because my stomach was full, but because the highs interfered. Huh. The food high and the sex high. You know? And uh, <laughs> I mentioned that to a doctor. He's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know? And if you listen to the podcasts that Tro has done and other people have done, they've Many uh, men are reporting a fading away of addictive activities, including porn addictions, that they weren't oh. trying to stop. It just went and, away. And wow. that's what I found. It, it is interesting. Too. And I think what um, what your whole journey really underscores is that everything is connected one way or another from from the brain to the gut, the diet to, you know, your physical condition to your mental condition. Um, all of these things, we don't always know the exact mechanisms by which these things are connected, but clearly there's a major connection here between all of these things. And fortunately, in your case, you have improved basically all of, um, you know, all of these different aspects. And so that's, um, I don't know, that's inspiring to me and, Hopefully that that gives some people who um, are listening to this and might uh, might have some of the conditions that uh, that you've dealt with in your past. Hopefully that gives them some hope that hey, maybe there's something I can do. Maybe there's a step I can take to um, to improve some of these um, situations. Um, yes. Question that it, there's a tremendous brain body connection. You know, the brain and body are still connected. And uh, it's well known that people that have bariatric surgery, if they don't deal with the underlying issues of why they've been eating, develop other addictions after their surgery. 
So, for example, you'll see a bariatric surgery patients losing weight. Uh, however, they haven't dealt with the underlying uh, addictions and brain chemistry issues, and they develop addictions to heroin, cocaine, cigarettes, alcohol, uh, to uh, all, all kinds of tobacco, to gambling, sex addiction, and you see a rise in uh, depression and suicide. And this is sort of these the uns, un, unspoken, untalked about side effects, which uh, affect people who have had this stomach surgery because they haven't dealt with the underlying problem. And uh, uh, although many, there are many people that have done it successfully, and you have to, you do have to realize that bariatric surgery patients are in danger of dying of their overweight right. and, and, and diabetes. So there is, it, there's, there's, you know, I, I, I feel yeah. for people that are desperate enough to do that. And I, I have to tell you, I went to a bariatric surgery meeting here uh, because I'm curious about this, not that I need it myself, but uh, I asked him, I said, you know, I hear, I hear all about this keto diet, you know, and people losing a lot of weight, keeping it off. Does it work? He goes, the surgeon is giving his lecture. He goes, yes, it works. <laughs> I, was, I was about to fall over. I, I was like, but no one can stick to it. And then he puts up the slide showing that all diets fail, 98.5% failure rate. You know, uh, What he didn't say was that bariatric patients also put weight, tre tremendous amount of weight back on uh, within five years. Uh, however, in those five years, they don't have diabetes and reduced chance of dying. Um, but I was like, I was floored. Interestingly enough, he and, and no one in the audience, which are patients looking to have bariatric surgery, uh, came up and said, oh, I'm interested in the keto diet or tell me about it. Yeah. Um, these are, of course, desperate people. And, uh, and you know, what's interesting is that in this state, uh, bariatric surgery is paid for by insurance. Most insurance will pay for it. And it, it's, it's very expensive. Yeah. It's, you know, $100,000 wow. with all told. And they are required by the insurance companies to do three to six months of dietary counseling of the standard calories in, calories out failure model, which has failed in the past. And everyone knows it doesn't work. And they just have to do it for three to six months. And mm. everyone knows it's going to fail. It, yeah. It's like, it's like, it's so sad. It just seems that. like a, a system really that isn't set up for success. And the patients are the ones that, uh, that suffer from it at that point. It's a shame. Yes, you have to realize that millions of people are suffering uh, from these conditions. It's very, very sad. And that's why I think what motivates a lot of doctors, a lot of doctors in this field to to uh, to take on this this difficult and unusual method of treating people that's sort of out of the mainstream. You know, I, I, I do yeah. feel for the docs as I And, you know, you mentioned yeah. that, um, you know, the person you saw speaking about bariatric surgery, he um, he called out that, oh, no one can stick to these diets. Um, you know, you've stuck with it uh, for four and a half years, and it sounds like you can't, um, you can't imagine going back and going the other way. And I'm curious with that, um, now that you've improved your health, What's one thing you enjoy doing now that you couldn't do before? Um, that's interesting because I wasn't like 
oh, so overweight I couldn't exercise or part participate in you know physical activities. But I guess the most important thing is the thing I can do now is I have a a a psychological equanimity that I did not have years ago, and I'm confident that. I can ha- weather any storm, you know, any life event. It's it's not like I'm like a delicate flower going to be knocked over in the wind anymore. It it so in a way it's sort of psych- psychological strength that's way new to me. Um and also the ability to control my you know, my appetites. Because I'm not a person with a huge <laughs> amount of willpower, or I mean, I, I definitely have executive functioning issues, you know. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm like, I'm a really different person, you know. I mean, so, so like, I we had Thanksgiving here, and I didn't want to eat nothing but stuffing and turkey, so I made like 25 hamburgers, <laughs> you know, which is kind of unusual to serve 25 hamburgers for Thanksgiving, and. And because we had like a gigantic turkey and, and like they yeah. were extremely popular. And uh, of course, I, I what <laughs> I ate was hamburgers. The funny thing was I had a vegan friend come over to dinner and I served hamburgers, you know, and he said, that's fine. His wife's, you know, not always vegan. And the, the lady ate hamburgers <laughs> oh, no. like she was a starving hostage. You know, she's eating like you know, and, peppy and, and God knows what at home. The funny thing is, they he invited me over for lunch the week before, and he goes, "Bring, bring some milk." He says to my wife, and I'm like, I say to her when he hangs up, "Do you think I could bring some hamburgers to the the brunch?" <laughs> she goes, "Absolutely not." I go, "Well, I won't cook them over there. I'll cook them first. I'll bring them over." <laughs> she goes, "I forbid it." I'm like, well, I the hamburgers," <laughs> and I ate them before we went over, and I I invented oh, my own carno loading. Oh yeah, okay. remember carbo loading? Carno loading. This is before you go out to dinner or to restaurants <laughs> of uncertain food or people's houses. You pound a pound and a half or two pounds of meat, and you're I, good to I go. Love it. I love it, and that um, that does seg- segue right into um, you know for for people who want to learn more from you and you know learn terms like carno loading and uh, see the wit and wisdom of David Smith, um, how can people reach you? Um, generally, I like to preserve what little anonymity I have. So they, I, uh, you can connect with me on Twitter. I have uh, a handle on Twitter, which is <laughs> ii1111 or ii1111, and it's David Smith. And I, uh, I lurked for two years on Twitter, and. Um, I didn't have anything to say, but then I found I could I have a few things to say, and and I don't know. I have like some ridiculous amount of followers in two years, like I don't know, fifteen hundred, fourteen hundred followers. It's funny, and uh, and I I enjoy it. You know, uh, it's a lot of fun. So you can find me on Twitter. Oh, thank I, you, and I can vouch for uh, for that being a valuable thing to do. I think um, you've got a lot of a lot of good insight to share and a lot of great experience. And, you know, you've overcome so many health problems. A lot of people could, could benefit from 
your experience, your wisdom, your insight. And uh, David, I thank you very much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story. Well, it's been a bit of delight, uh, Joe. You're doing a good thing and you're going to help a lot of people. And I think it's wonderful. So uh, good for you. Thank and you I very much, you David. Your podcast. Thank you for listening to You Cured What? Join us again soon for another story of healing.